I think there's a, there, uh, 2019, it's always good to look back and see what God has done. Amen. Let's give God a, a praise for what he did in 2019. Sometimes you get going so fast that you forget all the things that God does. And I don't want us to forget um, some of the things that he did. Um, and, and some of these things, um, I'm, I'm going to forget somebody or something or some ministry. But I just want to highlight some of the things that the staff got together um, this last week while we were gone. And, and talked about the things that God did in 2019, we baptized as a church, Northwest Baptist, we baptized 42 people this past year. Praise the Lord. That is the most that we have baptized in any year in the last 10 years. Praise God for that, huh? We added 31 new members to the body of Christ here. We had 30 days of prayer leading up to Easter as well as um, Leading up to our mission OKC, where we sought the face of the Lord together. Um, and on Easter, if you include our Good Friday service with our Easter services uh, around our campus, we had over a thousand people on our campus that weekend. Um, we had uh, 14 teams that went throughout the city uh, for Mission OKC. Over 100 people went on mission together as a church during that one week that we called Mission OKC. We actually took nine mission trips this last year, Santa Cruz in June, D.C. in August, Edmonton in July, Guatemala in June, uh, in September, Mission OKC, Chiapas in December, India um, I believe in August, McAllen, Texas, at Northwest Espanol went in June, and Champs Camp, as you saw the ladies dancing in the video, was in March. And we had multiple salvations from different ministries and camps that we went on this last year, Champs Camp. Um, we had 12 salvations, Community Advance, we had 30 salvations, Falls Creek, we had 10 salvations, Children's Camps, we had a couple salvations, and VBS, we had nine salvations. We had multiple salvations from Language Learning Fellowship and an average of 100 people from all over the world attending our campus every week on Wednesday night for language learning, hearing the message of the gospel. Um, we had a lot of new, new things that we launched in 2019. Um, we began the year with a, a training, No Place Left. We launched Men's Breakfast this last year. We launched Junior Worship in our children's area. We relaunched the Teacher Appreciation Breakfast. We launched Northwest Membership DNA, and we launched the Outreach Choir, the Resident Program, and we relaunched the Widow's Banquet. Um, some other things that happened this year is we sent 30 women to the women's retreat. We, um, we had a large group of men, I think about 20 men, go to the men's retreat. We did lights over Northwest indoors, and, and it was well done and had a, a ton of volunteers volunteer their time on, on Halloween night to share the gospel with our community. We added a new children's check-in. We changed our accounting software and our membership software, which we're going to be rolling out soon to the whole church. Um, it's been working on this for over a year, and it's a great thing that we're doing. We added a new children's director, a new children's associate, and a girls' minister to our team. And uh, praise God for all of these things that he has done in 2019. 
And it's just the beginning. Amen? Just the beginning of what God wants to do in and through his church here at Northwest. Just the beginning. Um, Probably my favorite thing uh, about this last year happened closer to the end of the year. Um, If you recall, one of the things that we said that we wanted to do this year in 2019 was to seek the face of God. We preached a a beginning sermon in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. One of the things that we said at the beginning of the year was we want to seek the Lord's face. And um, going throughout the year, I know we did 30 days of prayer prior to Easter. We did the 30 days of, of prayer prior to Mission OKC where we were seeking the face of God, asking him to do a work in us and in the life of the people we come in contact with. But one of the things that... Um, coming back from Chiapas, Mexico, um, that I told our staff that work here on a daily basis was, is we're going to seek to face the Lord together on a daily basis. And so we've, we've started um, spending 30 minutes a day, the beginning of our day, in prayer and in worship together. You should join us sometime. But the Lord speaks to his people, to his church, and he wants to speak on a daily basis to you. So seeking the Lord's face, as we continue to do that as a church, we walk into um, 2020. And I've been praying about this, and what does the Lord want for us to focus on in 2020? As he continues to work for his glory, and one of the areas that, uh, that, God, that God's placed on my heart is, is the meeting together to encourage one another. Encourage one another in the meeting together. Hebrews 10.25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. Encouraging one another in the meeting together. This is genuine biblical community. One that loves one another, encourages one another, stirs one another towards love and good works. This is the church uniting together as the body of Christ, functioning at a high level in community with one another. So we're going to work on that. And one of the ways that we can do that is through our community groups. And we want to invest in our leaders and invest in those groups, begin to start new groups where people have that community 
that they are being encouraged on a weekly, a daily basis as they are meeting together. So, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but we're going to continue in our series, The Gospel in Life, through the book of Ephesians. As we continue to understand this gospel, how this gospel has brought forth both the Jew and Gentile together as the church. Those who were once separated from Christ, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God, have been brought near by the blood of the cross. Reminder, in chapter 2 we learn that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down and now the church is one body in Christ. No longer Jew or Gentile, but now believers, followers of Jesus, the church, members of the household of God. Zach preached last week and did a great job and at the end of, of that text in Ephesians chapter, chapter uh, at the end of chapter 2, let me get to it here, I, I lost my place, but 2.22, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit in Christ. The church is being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This dwelling place has Christ as the cornerstone, but it's coming together brick by brick as he uses this illustration of these bricks coming together to build a temple. And that temple is filled with the Spirit of God. This is the church, the people of God who are Christ-centered. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the center. And everything they do is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets We'll see this today. Who write the word of God, who write the scriptures, who tell us the story of the gospel of Christ. The church. Christ is in the center. The word of God as the foundation. But there is this coming together of people of God for the spirit of God to dwell this is where we are, and this is what we're building here at Northwest Baptist. A church with Christ in the center, built upon the word of God, with every person coming together with one another, and with Christ in love for God, and a love for one another to be the place where the Spirit of God dwells. Amen? That's right. And this is where we pick up this morning in the text in verse 1, as Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, the church coming together, built upon the foundation of the prophets and, and the apostles, and Christ as the cornerstone, as the dwelling place of God, for this reason, 
what? Paul says, for this reason, I give up my life. Let's read together in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's word, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've briefly written. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm going to continue reading. We're not going to preach through this text, but I want to read the whole section. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Let us pray you can be seated. Father, we thank you that you have built your church, that you are building your church. And Father, that it is as we come together and look to Christ, that your spirit is among us and moving, working in power, might. Father, we are so undeserving, and yet your grace has given us so much. Father, help us to be stewards of the grace of God. Help us to continually seek your face as a church, as the body of Christ, as we come together looking to the chief shepherd who is Christ. Lord, give us the strength to do what you've called us to do, to do the work in which you have for us. Father, give us the strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I... um, just came back from a, a family get-together, family vacation. I don't know if you've ever spent some time um, at a reunion or a family vacation or a Thanksgiving meal. You'll know, uh, as I know, that there are many challenges 
getting all sorts of different people on the same page, right? Right? You'll know that. We had 15 people go on this trip in our family and all different kinds of people. And we would sit down every night for dinner and you have all different kinds, right? Of one likes their pizza without tomato sauce, one doesn't doesn't like their food to touch, so it has to be in separate quadrants of the plate. One likes no spices or garlic. Another one loves spices and garlic. One likes to try new things. One likes to eat the exact same thing every single night. Okay, so (laughs) trying to get everyone on the same page, right, is pretty tough. And our our waiter, uh, Manish from India, he always had a smile on his face as he's serving us, but you, you could tell that we were not an easy table, all 15 of us, kids, and everybody there. You look at each individual with all their flaws, all coming together as a family, laughing, crying, sadness, happiness, anger, fear, all the drama, right? All the drama, all the feels, But we could agree that we were celebrating our parents' 40-year anniversary. And in some ways, thinking about this, um, some weird ways, sitting down at this table reminds me somewhat of the church, the place where people come together around Christ. The common bond is not their age, their race, their food, their choices, but their love for the Lord. And the Lord is forming this, these people together to form a bond in which the Spirit of God is present. Not because they are perfect or alike in all such ways, but because they are children of God, because they are the household, the family of God. Todd Wagner, in his book, Come and See, says this about the church. He says, though Christians are flawed in many ways, the church, as God intends, is actually the hope of the world. The church is a beacon of hope, not because of its size or amenities, but because it provides others a picture of God's kingdom, a glimpse of heaven on earth. It's a place that's alive, awe-inspiring, and authentic, a worshipful kingdom of God on earth community. It is the church that the Jew and the Gentile would come together as one and follow Jesus with different backgrounds and customs and cultures for a greater purpose than themselves. 
It is the church that the Jew and the Gentile would unite around Christ, the Word of God written by the apostles and the prophets to fulfill the mission of God by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why Paul writes in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This mystery of the Gentiles, people outside, people way different, coming together with the Jews to be partakers of the promise. Paul says this, this is why I'm in prison. This is why I suffer. This is why I would give up my life. Because the church, the mystery revealed through the gospel of Jesus is that all nations will partake in the promises of God and they would be called with the Jews, the church. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Of course it is. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's what he says at the end of this section in verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look at verse 1 here in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I summarize this in in one point here in verses 1 and 2. It's our first point this morning. The church lays down their life for the sake of others. The church lays down their own life individually for the sake of others. As Paul writes this, he is in prison. As he writes to the Ephesians, he has already endured much suffering and and eventually will become a martyr. But it's all worth it. For these Gentiles, for you, to be a prisoner of Christ, these people who are being baptized and brought into fellowship of the household of God. It's interesting to note, Paul here says that Paul, I am a a prisoner for or, or of Christ. Not a a prisoner of the Jews, not a a prisoner of the Romans. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. How can he say that? How can he say that he's a prisoner of Christ? Because whatever he, he did, wherever he went, he was under Christ's control. He understood the sovereignty of God and that God actually placed him in that prison, in that state. 
And he could find joy knowing that God is using that for his glory. This is how we have joy amidst trials, a trust that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because if we're following his purpose and are called to that, he's working towards his glory, and we know that. Even in the hardest of situations, Paul is in prison, in chains, and yet he writes this beautiful, encouraging letter to the church of Ephesus. Imagine writing this in chains. Look at chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. What does he say? Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He's writing this in prison. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Does that sound like somebody who's writing from a prison cell? Someone who's having a bad day? All chained up with a frowny face, right? No. No, the joy of the Lord is Paul's strength. Now he's a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles. That's what he says. A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's saying, I'm here for you. I would gladly take this for you. And then he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. You see, God has given him a mission to go. Sound familiar? <laughs> to the Gentiles, to all nations. Acts 9 and 15 Ananias, the Lord speaking to Ananias, and he says, go, for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, Paul calls this mission that God has given him a stewardship of God's grace. First question here. Do you view your ministry a stewardship of God's grace? Whatever role you're in, whether it be a 
community group leader or you're sweeping the floors in the church, do you view the ministry that God has given to you as God's grace to you that you are stewarding means that you are put in charge of, that is not your own, but you're taken care of for a little bit. This is, this is, this is mind-blowing, okay? Understanding this principle causes us, the church, to lay our life down for one another. This is why the church, the people of God, can lay their life down for other people. Why? Because it's not mine to begin with. It's God's. We are stewards of God's grace. It's not my ministry. It's not my church. It's not my community group. It's not my money, it's not my clothes, it's not my house, it's not my time, it's not my song, it's not my wall, it's not my fish. It's God's. And in his grace, he gives us pieces of these things to steward. Stewards. Not only of the gospel. Stewards of the mission. Stewards of the ministry. Stewards of the places in which God has placed you to do his work. You see, Paul is a a great example. Paul literally becomes all things to all people in order that he might save some. He gives up his own desires and his needs for others for God to be glorified, for the mission to go forth, for the spirit to move, for the church to be united the Jew and the Gentile around the gospel, around Christ. And the Spirit of God to dwell there. God is glorified by this. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In verse 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The church lays down their life for the sake of others. Let's look at verse 3 here. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and to the prophets by the spirits. You see, the... Earlier, he's referring to earlier in chapter 2... When he says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in 
the Lord. We get our second point from this here. The church teaches the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. The church teaches the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see, he's telling us that he, Paul, was made known to me by revelation, the mystery And he's written briefly about this. We see this in Acts as Paul had a Damascus Road experience, which he was a Jew who was persecuting Christians on his way to persecute more Christians. Jesus stops him. He comes to him and he says, why, Saul, why why are you persecuting me? God gets a hold of his life and reveals to him that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he's risen from the dead, and he changes Paul's whole way of thinking. So Paul repents, he believes upon Jesus, and then he begins to preach Christ and him crucified. Now, not all of us have that kind of experience. God doesn't shine a light in our eye and blind us and say, turn to me. He can, and maybe for you, he has. But for most of us, what do we do? We read the word of God, the testimonies about Christ, who he is, and we realize that he is who he says he is. He is Lord, he died, he resurrected from the dead, and he's coming again. Amen? Amen. And guess what? The men who wrote the word of God are these who are referred to in chapter 2, verse twenty. And here again, in verse 5 of chapter 3, as the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. The apostles walked with Jesus for three years. And 1 John explains the authority they had to give testimony of Christ in which they write the books of the New Testament. 1 John 1, 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's from 1 John. As John writes, he tells that we have tasted, we have seen, we have felt Jesus and we testify to this Jesus so that you may know who he is. Even the writers of the New Testament who are not apostles are connected to the apostles. Both Mark and Luke traveled with Paul. Peter actually stays at the house of Mark. The prophets who write the Old Testament, so we have the apostles and then we have the prophets. The prophets who write the Old Testament are pointing us to Christ and the gospel of Christ. The mystery that Christ is grafting in these Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Even in the days of Abraham, the word of God says all the nations will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. All the nations will be blessed 
through the offspring of Abraham. Isaiah tells us the Messiah will come for the nation. Some of the minor prophets, Hosea and Amos, tell us that these people who were not God's people will become God's people. And Joel tells us that these Gentiles will actually receive the Holy Spirit. But it's clear here, and we see this in verse 5, it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the spirits. It's clear that no revelation, no text of scripture, nothing that is written in the word of God is from just man, but it's from the spirit of God inspiring the writing of scripture both the Old and the New Testament. 2 Peter 1.20 says this, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture come from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is revealing to us, the church, God's plan for salvation through Christ and his plan for all the nations to come to worship together as the people of God. Therefore, we teach the scripture here at this church. (laughs) That's why I just preach the text. That's it. It comes from the text. Why? Because it has the authority. I don't have the authority. The text has the authority. Because it is from the Spirit of God. The authority to teach, rebuke, correct, and train God's people in righteousness. This foundation of the apostles and the prophets has left us with a treasure trove of scripture to help us know God intimately and deeply and the church to teach the word of God so that the spirit of God can come and dwell amongst his people. Amen? So, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the scriptures. Verse six, this mystery is, he tells us what the mystery is, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery here is the Gentiles are now heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this is beautiful, right? This is our third point this morning. The church preaches, teaches the gospel, which is for all nations. For all nations, not just one nation, the Jewish nation. It is for all people. This mystery, Paul describes this mystery as a beautiful plan of God to bring all the nations of the earth back to himself 
through the gospel of Christ. Remember, back in the days of the law, the people of God had, you had to be a Jew. You had to become a Jew in order to follow God because they were under the law. And now that Christ has come, he has opened the door for the nations to enter into a relationship with God. This is really mind-blowing for this first century church in which Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. That a person who does not perform the ceremonial laws, who has not been raised according to the Jewish precepts and laws, they are now considered as the family of God. Think of it this way. You're sitting at the top of OKC Devon Tower. We can understand this. In a private room, all fancied up. You have, you have, uh, you have, uh, you have your, your, your restaurant or whatever up there, and you're being waited on, and you're sitting at this table, and you have Sam Presti, the mayor, the governor, Bob Stoops is there. Maybe even CP3 might be there. Let's just say Carrie Underwood and, and Blake Shelton have come back to Oklahoma, and you're sitting there with all these, these famous people, right? These dignitaries, and, um, and all of a sudden, you're sitting there at the table with all these people, famous people. Big time people. And someone who hasn't taken a shower for weeks, clothes are in rags, they're unshaven, they're unclean in your sight, walks up and says, I'm supposed to sit at this table. It's shocking. And, and, and the church is like that. The people of God are sitting around the table, enjoying the pleasures of God, enjoying the peace and knowing that the Lord has saved them, he has rescued them, the Lord is growing them. They're, they're mighty men of God. They understand the word of God. They understand the power of God. They have the Holy Spirit. They're sitting at the table enjoying the pleasures of God together. They understand the word. They understand the gospel. They understand the promises. And then all of a sudden, someone in filthy rags walks in, seeing their life in a wreck. And the church says, come, sit with us at the table. We want to invite you in. Welcoming him. Sit at the table Come and have community with us. Why? Because we know Jesus and we want you to know him as well. That's what the church does. So next time you see someone walk into your community group and you go, oh, it probably doesn't belong here. Or next time you see somebody walk into the church and go, oh, I don't know if he's supposed to be here. That's exactly where he's supposed to be. And he's supposed to see Jesus there. And he's supposed to see you and go, man, what love do these people have for me? And hopefully when they come into the community and fellowship of believers, they see the love that we have for one another. And they see the love that Jesus has for them. And Jesus says, come, 
all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I came to seek and to save the lost. We welcome them in. Jesus puts them, puts, makes them a new creation. Then begins to grow them up and send them out to go reach more and more people. See, when the church preaches the gospel that Christ came to save sinners, he came for the lost. We come and we see Christ. We can begin to welcome people in. This is the place in which the Spirit moves and he dwells. The gospel is God's redemptive plan of inclusion. The story that people can now come to God because Jesus died in our place. He died the death in which we deserved. He lived the life that we could not. His sacrifice was enough to bring us to God. Now we can come to Jesus knowing that he is enough. See, the gospel, this gospel, is a mystery. And Christ has opened this mystery to us. And now we understand God's purpose in bringing sinners like you and like me to himself. This is the passion for his church. The church is not just for the Jew. The church is not just for the rich. The church is not for just for the well-educated. The church is for the sinner like you and like me as we come together as the people of God in which God is moving in our hearts and our minds. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This mystery has been revealed. It's been revealed in Christ. Paul says it's worth being in prison for. It's worth giving my life for, for the sake of others to know him and to be a part of this community that represents one day what it will be like in heaven. Let us pray and ask the Lord to make our community a community in which the gospel is being revealed. Father, we just ask that you would do a work in our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray for your word that goes forth. We pray for the gospel to penetrate hearts and minds and understanding that Christ died in my place. That any person is welcome to come to him 
on behalf of faith in Jesus. The grace of God has now given us a path to eternal life. Has given us a path to become children of God in the family of God, in the household of God. To be a place where the the Spirit of God dwells. Father, we thank you for revealing this mystery through your word and helping us to understand and to know that you are a God who loves, that you are a God who cares. No matter how far, Father, as it will tell us later in the scripture, no matter how far, who can separate us from the love of God? Because your love is extravagant. Father, help us to be a church that reflects that kind of love. Help us to be a church where people come and they sit at the table and they see Jesus. No matter how they come, Father, help us to see that you have saved us from grace, from you have saved us with grace. We were far off, alienated, strangers, by grace we're saved.